0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash (laughs) w-t-f all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fucking ears what the fuckadelics what's happening I'm Mark and this is my podcast w-t-f welcome to it Uh, if you're new to the show thanks for coming it doesn't always sound like this. I'm in a I'm in a hotel room, and I've become fairly sensitive to sound lately. I don't know if that's a sign of aging or what, but my taste buds and my hearing has become a bit more acute. My vision is uh, not as good as it used to be, but whatever the case, I'm self-conscious about the sound. I'm in a hotel room, as I said. Did I say it? See, that's another thing that happens when you get older. I'm in Saratoga Springs, New York, going to Sarah the Painter's family uh going visit she's got a little thing she's got a meeting in a museum up here it's very pleasant up here it's been a rough few days uh i'm getting a lot of email about uh the passing the death the suicide of uh anthony bourdain uh we were able to post that that episode that we did back in 2011 it's you, you, with a heavy heart that i do that stuff but i'm happy that i have the archive to take it out from behind the paywall so everybody can have access again but it seems to be a very beneficial thing to people grieving somebody who they respect and, and, and loved uh, there's something about that window that portal back into another time uh, we've had a lot of people pass away that have been on the show some old and some it's always sad but sometimes it's not so tragic. Anthony Bourdain was a tragic situation, and I had him on recently, not too long ago, I just saw him, he seemed full of life in his rented muscle car, seemed uh, engaged, and uh, I don't know, I I can't say happy, but he was definitely himself, uh, cynical, intense, engaged, uh, passionate, his heart was always in the right place, stood up for the underdog, brought people together, through any means necessary around the world, usually food, but intellectually as well, and a very just a a unique guy and a real American original. That guy, and uh, after he passed and we had the episode, I, I it, it's hard to really know uh, just how important somebody is in in other people's lives you know, based on popularity or whatever. But this. This guy went deep with a lot of people, and uh, and I was glad to have had the experience with him, and glad to have um, talked to him, and also happy in a very unhappy way to be able to uh, to give that episode back, or to repost it, or to, to make it available to remind people because this is you know 2011 that uh, the episode came from, and and uh, it was a different guy, uh, really. I mean, the same guy, but you know, looking. Back on it to what he's gone through in the last seven or eight years what we've all gone through and it's just that you know that there was definitely a different tone to him he was not as angry was not as cynical about uh the world because it's hard not to be if you are awake and engaged but but uh beautiful guy and a good-hearted guy and, and you just can't know the sadness in somebody or 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 almost anything about anybody other than what they're giving you right up front. I don't you, you just don't know people. You don't know what they're going through. And this is where this one ended. And I and I do you know it's weird, but I, I feel like I should say this, but uh you know, don't don't lose hope uh because somebody that represented your hope or represented your, you know, n- uh, ability to persevere or to model yourself after, uh, has, uh, has done this type of thing. You don't know what anyone's going through. You don't know if your situations are the same. And, uh, y- you know, and I know that these kind of things, if you are prone to depression or prone to that type of self-reflection or prone to taking drastic acts with your own life, uh, don't, don't use this as a reason or as a barometer for your own feelings. You just don't know what people are going through. We all know the act is horrible and, and it has its effect, but uh, but the, but but try to to stay in the lane here. Try to stay in the the uh, the lane of life if you can. I, I look, it's it's hard for me sometimes. It's hard for a lot of people, but uh, just don't use this as an excuse. And if that seems like a, a a sort of drastic or unnecessary public service announcement, I don't think it is. It's a sad thing that happened, uh, but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't mean that what he stood for isn't uh, amazing, and what he did isn't amazing, and that uh, you know it is an indicator that you should uh, you should pursue uh, drastic action. All right, I, I, I'm sorry. It's it's heavy. I know it's heavy, uh, but uh, I, I just felt like I had to say it, and so uh, here's what we'll do you know uh, bob balaban is on the show today bob balaban is uh i'm a huge fan of bob balaban i've been a fan of his for years he's been one of those guys that has showed up in movies over the years many of you may know him from all the christopher guest movies go google him right now but i've actually been following him since i saw him and i think the first time i saw him was in altered states when i was a little film nerd uh in albuquerque new mexico and very excited about that william hurt movie i'd read about him i, I loved body heat i don't know. I don't remember which one came out first but Bob Balaban was in that he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind but like when I went to see Midnight Cowboy at a revival house there was Bob Balaban in that bathroom scene if you know what I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about but just an interesting guy comes from a interesting show business background and and he's so funny and so natural and such a self-effacing wonderful actor I was very excited he's one of those guys where a lot of people may not know him but I couldn't fucking believe that I was talking to Bob Balaban it was a big Saturday night in Saratoga Springs where it's just parades of, it seems, uh, middle-aged wine-drinking people. So we we want to go to bed, and we we get into bed. I'm exhausted, and then like uh, right next door, seemingly in our room, a band starts playing. There's a beer garden next door, and a band starts playing. And uh, we thought we could manage it. We thought we could handle it. Maybe we could just go to sleep. But it was just the worst kind of medium classic rock cover soul death playlist it was just that it, it was it was just it, it i don't even know how to explain it to you it's not that the music was bad because i knew all the fucking songs I knew all the songs. Does that mean I like them? I don't know. Does it mean that they were drilled into my head at some point? Yeah. Uh, Does it mean that we're not going to be able to sleep even with earplugs in? Yes. I mean, you know, we start with You May Be Right, the Billy Joel song, and then we just they ease into Sister Golden Hair. Do you remember that one? That was from when I was like in junior high. I don't even know who did it. Was that an America song? And then they 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 go into uh, Maggie May, and then a tiny dancer, and then oh, then uh, of course maybe a second Billy Joel song. Why not? Don't ask me why. How would that be? How about a little of that? So now you're, um, We're trying to sweep. It's coming through the window, the double pane window, into the in through the earplugs. Just a an evening of, of horrendous brain worms. And I I didn't know how to feel. Like I was mad uh, at the music, but I think I don't know if I. I that was it. There was two layers going on. I was mad at the music because it was loud and I was trying to sweep and I was mad at myself for knowing all of them and I was mad that, like, I couldn't transcend them and go to sleep because my brain just, you, you know, locked into the melody of every single one of them except for the more modern soul-deadening classic rock-based tunes. How much do you suck up as a person? I mean, how much do you take? You know, obviously, this is some great... You know, I'm not, you know, fighting for, you, you know, ju- justice. And it's not a big fight, but the decision just to call the desk and say like, Hey, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's a band next door. I know how often it happens, but uh, it, it would seem to me that on this side of the building, it would be impossible to sweep if one wanted to. I, of course I had a different tone, not yelling, but slightly aggravated, but they immediately moved us to a, a different room, a nicer room, even uh, that was quiet so we could sweep. And uh, I, I, I guess I'm thanking them for that. That's what I'm doing right now. Thank you for that. It's a little bit of a hassle, but thank you. Because uh, cause I, I don't know what would have happened, given that I haven't eaten sugar in a week and a half, if uh, I, that couldn't have happened. It would have been ugly. It would have been a bad phone call. But um, but yeah, so we moved. and. Yeah, I got into bed, and uh, there was there was nothing I could do, uh, really. I, I mean, it was a lot quieter. And as I went to sleep, the you know, the, don't ask me why, tiny dancer, Maggie May, Sister Golden Hair, and you may be right, were all still playing in my brain. There was no stopping that. There was no earplug for that. There was no new room that was going to take down that noise. So I just wanted before we. Uh, do uh, the Bob Balaban bit with me and Bob talking. Uh, Going to read a quick email, and uh, I, I think that uh, this is an encouraging email for people that uh, that are public speakers. Maybe you know, I just I just want to ease your mind a little bit. Uh, this just a uh, subject line, I've been ripping you off, dot, dot, dot. Hi, Mark. Hope you're doing well and settling in after the move. I'm writing this email with a bit of a confession. I've been a teacher in Long Island, New York for 11 years now, and it took me a long time to really come into my own in the classroom. After listening to your show for many years now, it recently struck me that I've come to see teaching in some of the same ways that I've heard you discuss comedy. It's taken me years to develop a personal style dependent on timing, tone, and point of view that felt right. And I thought that I had crafted a unique persona for myself that didn't feel totally artificial in short I believed that I had found my voice as I've heard you discuss with other comics recently I was confronted by a pair of students who had a question they'd been meaning to ask me all year they asked hey Mr. Mac where does the whole hey folks thing come from I guess while I was busy developing what I thought was my own style I was really just stealing yours for the rest of the day, I caught myself falling into rhythms and patterns of syntax that felt natural, but I realize are unmistakably Marinesque. I guess the hours listening to your podcast have layered into my thinking, and when I open my mouth, your voice comes out. I can't help it, but when I greet my class, I've fallen into the habit of using your, hey folks, and passing it off as my own. After these students asked me this question, I lied and told them it just came naturally. So, to ward off feelings of guilt and hackishness, I'm writing to you now to confess i thought you'd appreciate this thank you for all that you do with your podcast it's refreshing to tune into someone who reminds me to stay engaged with art music theater and the human experience you know i'm not even going to give the guy's first name just because i you know i don't want to if i if, if by some coincidence one of the students listens to this uh, i don't want to embarrass him too much but yeah you're free to take it if it's to teach and whatever you know what i mean everybody's got you know what i mean like I, I, right now i've got uh, don't ask me why in my head you know sometimes brain worms fall in the form of of styles of speaking you know you got to learn somewhere and if it's working for you i'm sure you have your own life and your own history and your own past and everything else you just using a certain rhythm and you can have hey folks believe me i did not uh, it's not mine hey folks is is not uh, I, I don't have any sort of copyright on hey folks hey folks That's that's been around since the beginning of entertainment. So Bob Balaban, as I said earlier, is a a tremendous comic actor and dramatic actor and interesting presence in the history of modern cinema. I've always enjoyed him and I've been wanting to talk to him for a long time. So this was very exciting for me. This is me and Bob Balaban back at the new garage. He's in a series that's on the audience network called Condor, sort of a modern update of three days of the Condor. We talk about as much as we can. Uh, Related to Mr. Balaban So uh enjoy how old's your house do you live in a house
1: i have a house in the country where i in new york, in new yeah. in the in the country in new york which it looks like an old house, but it's it's about ten years old. But it was uh. built to be a traditional shinnecock style shingle house. Uh huh. And is it uh, is it? It's like, pretty bouncy, right? Like these. This old house is. This thing's from nineteen
0: oh eight, and and I can hear fucking everything. Well, also it must have plaster,
1: right? It's right. Not, I think there's a lot of plaster involved. I would believe that whatever that stupid board is that we yeah. make our houses out of, that kind of absorbs sound. It doesn't push it back to wait. You know, probably a, a, a smooth plaster. That's probably wall true. Would do. So you're not a builder. You have no. Uh... I've never built anything much. You no, know? <laughs> not that you know. I I, build a, I used to make. I made some puppets. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. What kind of puppets? Well, I, when I was in Summerstock and I was 17, uh, it was a professional place. They had really yeah. interesting. It had the dregs of leftover movie stars would come to it. Right, like. They were great, like Edward yeah. Everett Horton. Sure, and Marjorie Lord came from uh, Danny Thomas show, and you know, what, that was the kind of thing. Where, where was this Sullivan, Illinois? Guy, you Guy Little Junior's theater on the square in Sullivan, Illinois. That's right. So all these older actors that were just sort of you know out they to pasture, they would work for what weeks, two months. No, they would tour all the time. Oh, so it'd be most a summer of these were product. one
0: or two week gigs, and right. most of them were in the summer. So the stage wasn't that complicated. They just throw it up,
1: and you know they come do the it's shtick. That's what they did. Yeah, and I was. An apprentice there yeah I, mean, I wasn't hired I was like a kid and um, so I would be in the apprentice musical on the alternate Saturdays I did the Fantastics yeah <laughs> uh, and then I did the and I did the children's thing where I was a I was the Miller in Rumpelstiltskin yeah and uh, and then I was in the chorus of My Fair Lady yeah and I also built all the props and some of those were puppets. And one of the props was in carnival, mm-hmm. and I had to make out of an out of a thing called Selastec which oh. I think was discovered to be like the most cancerous product in the world. <laughs> I made really good puppets. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know what to do, but I, I, I was. Good. And I had to build a couch once. Uh huh. would that think go? Would be, it looked pretty good. Yeah. But I just put it together with a lot of wood. It weighed about four thousand pounds. Crazy. <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. For a set. Yeah. And yeah. you were like fifteen.
0: 17. 17? Yeah. And that was outside of Chicago? Yeah, all was about
1: 200 miles south of Chicago. It. it was in southern Illinois. How do you get that gig? I mean, why that place? Were you because interested? Because I was studying at the Second City. I, I, not, sorry, I was not They had an apprentice workshop, a teenage workshop that Viola Spillin did at the Second City, which uh, was in the middle of not too far from where I lived. Right. And I was always interested in theater uh i was a puppeteer when i was really little my family was in the movie business in various ways in chicago in chicago and in los angeles so you grew up all, all in chicago you were like born um, and raised to- total in chicago. chicago yes i've
0: grown to like chicago a lot and i don't talk to a ton
1: of people from chicago mm-hmm. what, what, how many brothers and sisters do you have i had twins uh, my sisters who were twins yeah they're, they're both gone oh uh-huh. no sorry but they were there yeah uh my grandparents, uh, oh yeah, Goldie or Gussie. I'm I not had a, sure. Oh
0: my God, I had a grandma Goldie
1: and an aunt Gussie. I think everybody did. Really, I don't. I've not met that many people. Well, Goldie, she's she's in Fiddler on the Roof. It's oh, Tavian okay. Goldie. It's a very. You know, I think it's a traditional Polish Jewish name. My my grandma they were from, from Belarus, Poland. but I think Belarus. Belarus. That's sort of where my family was from. I just found that out. Yeah, but I don't I, know that. much about it. Minsk or Pinsk or something like that. Yeah. I think that's in Belarus. Russian Polish Jews. And they fled a pogrom, mm-hmm. as, as everybody tried to sure. do, uh, and they fled a pogrom and ended up in Chicago on a on a, a street called Maxwell Street, Yeah, which was a really interesting place. This is your grandparents. The, my dad's parents. Right. They're really my, age-wise, they're my great-grandparents because they had... 12 children, and my dad was the baby, so Uh, the oldest child was like 23 or 4 years older than he was, so I never knew them. In fact, my grandfather probably died in about 1920, and my grandmother, I think, died in 1935 or something, but you know, 10 years before I was born. So they get to Maxwell Street. It's the ghetto. It's the Lower East Side of Chicago, and it's been different ghettos. It's been a black ghetto. It's been an Irish ghetto. It's whoever the downtrodden are when they first get to Chicago end up on Maxwell Street. It's not there anymore. They're rite of passage. Here's your street. It's where everybody will speak Go your thunk. language yeah. or something. They'll sell to you. You'll be allowed into their store because you think, you know, nobody wanted Jews anywhere. Yeah. They, they still don't particularly. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> they really didn't <laughs> want them then. Wedged our way into yeah. culture. <laughs> Only to to take over businesses that nobody else wanted uh-huh. and then get really successful with them. And then they were hated for doing Yeah. That. So they had a little delicatessen. It wasn't doing very well. My grandfather was evidently a sweet, nice yeah. guy. And it was beneath him to, like, collect money at the end of the month because she had a delicatessen and everybody would go in and I want a lettuce head, I want this. And in the end of the month he had to go around and he never went around so they didn't make any money particularly. Gave away food. Yes. And she hated being in the delicatessen business. So in 1908, the year my father was born, but he might have been born in 1909, I don't know, somewhere around there. But there were a lot of older brothers. Um, She went and she saw Nickelodeon and she got all excited about it and she said to Barney Balaban, my dad's oldest brother, um, we're going to go in the movie business. So come with me. He said, well, why do you like it so much? And she showed it to him. And she said, first of all, there's no waste. Yeah. It's not like the lettuce. Yeah, yeah. You know, it gets You're a little soft and people are squishing it. Yeah. And it's like you got to throw it away. She said, the movie gets old and stale. You send it back and you get a new one. Yeah. They're like, that's how the movie business works. And no wish- rotting food, no bad smells. No rotting food, yeah. no bad smells. And also... Unlike the delicatessen business, where you buy a piece of fish, it doesn't smell so good, they don't like it, you get your money back, right. she said, You pay your nickel before you go in. Yeah. You don't even know what you're buying. Yeah. And if you hate the movie, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah. And these weren't nickel really movies gone. at the yeah. time. They were, they were like, just you know. that
0: machine, right? They were yeah, shorts. They, Did you have to they turn were little the little machine?
1: Things. It one of it, those? I think in nineteen oh eight it probably it wasn't
0: like a Viewmaster. masters it was like an actual It wasn't
1: quite like y- Sandor the stone man going like this, you yeah, know, raising yeah. his arms. But they weren't movies as right. we know them. So they went in, the family went in the business, they all hocked everything they had. Barney, who was the oldest, worked at an ice company, and he provided eventually blocks of ice for air, he was the first air-cooled theater, basically. So they got their own little theater, and it's got like 15 people on its folding chairs. So they bought one Nickelodeon? They they made themselves a little store that they turned into a Nickelodeon. Uh One of the brothers played the piano, so he was like the accompaniment, and they all had their little specialty. My dad was a baby, so he didn't do anything too much at that time. And in about, they built their first real theater about five years later. And in 15 years, they had built 75 theaters in the Chicago area, the largest of which was bigger than Radio City Music Hall. And it was called Balaban and Caps. So that, that. it's
0: interesting to me, isn't it to you, to hear about how the, the when the business was just a business that there were these relationships built between. You know, this is before distributors. So you know, your your family's theaters had a relationship with Zucker, and uh, you ran the movies. He supplied all the movies you needed, and and then you, and that's how the move the business was built. In, uh, and it was uh, a nationally. I
1: don't know that it always was like as friendly as this, but they were really friends. Yeah, I mean, my my uncle. Didn't want to do it, and Adolf Zucker booked a a a, a a a room on a train that Barney was going in to go to California for some production yeah. reason. He had to go there. Yeah. for, or well, I don't know why he had to go. And Zucker was waiting for him in his in his little stateroom on the on the train. And he said, "Well, I ran into you. Why are you here?" He said, "I'm here because I want you to. I want to convince you to take over Paramount. I'm old. I love the company, and I can't run it in these troubled times. I don't know what to do." And Barney literally said, well, I'm very happy. I'd like to stay with my family and be in Chicago and my seven brothers and everything else. And, he, and Zucker convinced him to do it. And Barney said, well, I must find a way to keep you on in some way. So Zucker was the chairman of the board. And then eventually Zucker died and Barney was both the president and the chairman of the board. But he would of only Paramount. do it. Paramount. But Barney would only do it if, 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 it was, if he wasn't edging out uh, Zucker and kept him part of it. And they were really friends wild so so you're it, just by by being in the by starting
0: with a nickelodeon and ice in the little place you this you built this he built this market which was the chicago market for movies yep. basically yeah and then he it was end, like the lows of chicago or yeah whatever that was. and then he ends up uh, you know running paramount at what at what time in history is this what
1: movies were made under uh your uncle's uh reign 80 million of them broke. yeah Alfred Hitchcock was a staple, I believe, of So, they, were, so they had Martin, a lot. That's Martin right. It's Lewis a famous later. lot. So they were down right, up, right over here in Hollywood. Mm. Only Barney, all the executive offices of Paramount, starting with Zucker, and as you know, all the people who eventually created the original studios, they came from the East Coast because uh, yeah. they had mostly come from Poland. Right. And they were living in upstate New York making gloves in Gloverville. But they eventually all ended up in California mm-hmm. except for Paramount because Zucker never went, and Barney ran Paramount from the Paramount building on 45th Street and Broadway, uh, and they, they would give messages back and forth all the time, and he went to California yeah. somewhat, but he was famous for being very businesslike. He kind of took it out Your of, some, yeah, out of yeah. trouble. He was the one who declared that no movie that Paramount made He did a little analysis, and he said Some of our movies cost three million dollars. He said there is no reason to spend more than a million dollars on a movie because he looked the ones that cost more didn't do any better business. He (laughs) said so let's just not make anything over a million dollars. And he was hey there were people I forget who but I don't know great old fancy directors were like I don't want to work at Paramount but they all worked at Paramount and it was sure and who how did you get the stories how did I hear about it Yeah, I mean like my parents never liked to talk about it. I'm you know where are you from?
0: Uh, my people were from Jersey. I grew up in New Mexico.
1: Okay. Well, Chicago. Yeah. If you're Jewish in Chicago, yeah, you you at least in my family, yeah, it's very important that you not seem hoity-toity. Keep your head down low. Just just be as much like American Gothic as you can possibly be. Right. So I didn't know much about any of my relatives. Yeah, I, I kind of did. It yeah. didn't seem special to me. Yeah. I liked it, and I loved movies and right. I loved theater and all that. But it, well, I was ten years old. I broke my arm. I was a puppeteer, but that didn't help anything. Yeah. But I was interested in this stuff, and I broke my arm, and I was hyperactive, and they didn't know what to do with me. So my mom and dad and I got on a train and went to visit my grandparents, who lived in Bel Air. It, it, it was my mother's mother and Sam Katz, who and was Sam now Katz. married to my mother's mother. Yeah. And I can't talk too much about him, because he did some bad things. Um, okay. But, you know, not that bad. He didn't kill anybody. But, yeah. You know, but anyway, he was kind of complicated. Well, and and now it's still not good to talk about him. It's like I what, don't know, I'm from years? Chicago. I don't like it's to a get in hundred, trouble. 100 years ago. What is, <laughs> what what, is, what did Sam Katz do? He, he tried to fuck my aunt oh. who was his his stepdaughter. Oh, yeah. So that wasn't nice. Yeah, no, no good. And he not had a nice. lot of and he had millions of affairs with people, which is fine. That's yeah. I mean, so he's notorious. To, you know, the, Sam Katz is a notorious of, uh uh uh, my uh, slightly predatory film guy. Yes. From the old that, days. From the old day. And he, when Louis B. Mayer was away, he wanted, he always wanted Judy Garland to be Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. So he did an end run about Louis B. Mayer, who wanted Shirley Temple, as you probably mm. who cares, you know. But I mean, I,
2: know, no, I, I like
1: the movie. I think it's a, better because Judy is in it. Judy's great. And he kind of made Judy be in it, and that was like a good thing. This is Sam Katz, your grandmother's husband. My grandmother's husband used to be my father's sister's husband.
2: Right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's <a> it's really, <laughs> really
1: weird. Yeah. Um so I get to the studio cuz I finally He'd get to He'd be in trouble right now, Sam Katz. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. You know cuz yeah. I'm I mean yeah. you know, I think it's For great sure. that we're finally getting into this what how the world is run yeah. all the time sure. everywhere. So you go out there to Sam Katz's house and they're uh, making and we we stay at the Beverly Hills hotel yeah. cuz my grandparents are very formal and, and you're like, like 10, 11? I was 10. Yeah. And uh they take me to the studio to watch a movie being made. Well, this is, you know, like if you're I was like, my nose was pressed up against the glass. It was so exciting all the time. And yet they were in California, so they might as well have not existed to me. Um, uh, do you remember the movie you were watching being filmed? Oh, totally. I remember everything about it? it. Citrice and Dan Daly were starring in Meet Me in Las Vegas. It's a mid-level comedy where she puts her hand on Dan, 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 Dan Daly while he's gambling, yeah. and he wins. Yeah. It's magical. It's like this. It's kind of like a little supernatural romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's not very good. Right. But I, I was just overwhelmed by the whole thing yeah because i like scenery i'm a, like a scenery fanatic yeah and it was in a it was in a um a casino and and there were 300 extras and it was all very quiet and they're all standing there and then they went action and they go oh hit me hit me i want two more throw the dice <laughs> right, and it, right. Like, thousands of things are going on and then they go cut it's like <laughs> quiet, and I had a chair with my name on it, like yeah. uh, Little yeah. Robbie Balaban uh, or something. Uh, and that's sat great. on the chair, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was really excited, and I never got over it. And I came home and made puppet shows about Hollywood, and then and that was it for you. You were uh, you were show business all the I way. How was it done, deal? I wasn't show business because I was small and funny looking. So yeah. I thought, who would I be? You know, it didn't yeah. occur to me I could be Arnold Stang, which is not exactly my dream, but right. it's better than nothing. And yeah. I love Arnold Stang. Yeah. <laughs> I was in all the plays at school and did all those kinds of things and studied at Second City. What What was the scene... What was Second City like? Because did you go see the shows that were going on on the main stage? I or did. You were- I saw The Caretaker. I mean, they were serious. You know, it, it wasn't all funny and everything, but it was all based on improvisation. But who was
0: it, like Asner, and who was there at the time?
1: No, the people that you would know, I can't even remember their names. Oh, really? I mean, they're famous in Second City lore, but Mike Nichols and Elaine May had left, and Zora Lampert, was there ever in it? I can't remember.
0: They were there from the, uh, there was a the Compass were, they were Players Compass before. Compass Right. And
1: they sort of morphed over. Yeah. Uh, and they were great, and Paul Sills, if you Paul Sills. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin was no longer there. He had already come to be a star in New York. Uh-huh. Uh, but Paul Sills, Paul who started Sills. Story, story Theater, and the woman who taught improvising for teenagers, which is what was the class that I took, yeah. was staggeringly great. And she wrote a book called Theater Games, which uh-huh. you can buy now. It's still in What's print. What's her name? Viola Spolin. Hmm. And she's literally like the mother of improvisational theater. She invented the games that unlock the the world of improvisation. But We have to remember, old improvisation is a little bit different from what. Then Del Close from stuff. Now Del Close was there, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Maybe Hamilton Camp, but I can't remember.
0: How is it different?
1: Well, because now it's so commercialized. Uh It doesn't mean it's bad, and there's still great people come out of it. Especially, you know, like sure Second City in Toronto. I mean, great things. But it's very oriented towards, okay, let's improvise and improvise. And now we'll set these, the, our favorite routines and we'll do them every Saturday night in the show. Uh-huh. But originally, you would go to see a show and they really would be throwing out a name and they really would be making it up on the spot. Mm-hmm. And the great ones never bombed. They just didn't bomb. They yeah. maybe were less funny sometimes, but it was intriguing and interesting. So it's all comedic improvising. No. In fact, it's the opposite. It's just, it's just anything that's real that you can do. It can when you be funny, it. yeah, but I learned you know some great things. Uh, like what? Don't tell. Don't come in with this, uh, preparing any stories. Yeah. Or don't write a script. Yeah. Be there. Know your circumstances, and then know your circumstances. Backstory. Everything you can do. Where did I come from? Whatever the circumstances. Once you get are. the character. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And and then don't anticipate anything. You have to actually be. I mean, it's corny to say it, but you have to be in the moment. And you have to, and what you're doing is being fed by somebody else. you are not you you're not coming in being somebody spewing all over everybody. It's got to be give and take so when you say know
0: your circumstances," that means you put you put together a story for yourself of the person you are, and then when you're interacting, you kind of uh, react in relation to that. Mm-hmm. and
1: you can make who you are gets refined as you're going on, depending sure. on what the other person is yeah, doing. yeah you'll learn not to deny other people, yeah so so somebody somebody can't say to you, Blah 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 blah, blah. And he, and he says, "No, I'm not your father after all." Oh like, yeah, well, I guess shut you, up. I guess you could if it turned out there was a story and it was important. Right. But you 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 are not suppo- you are supposed to support the other person. Doesn't mean make it easy for them. Yeah. Fighting and having an argument and improvising is the deadest end you can find. It 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 just it beco- it can become. It, it's the easiest thing for many people to do is fight in an yeah. improvisation, and. The best fights in improvisation. Do you know a woman named Mina Kolb? Uh-huh. Is this a courage? She was one of like the un, the, the unheralded geniuses yeah. of the early days of improvising. Yeah. And I put together an improvised movie that we never made, but we did a we did two weeks of workshop for it with great, wonderful... Phil Hoffman was in it. Oh, yeah. Um, Lisa Kudrow was in it. Oh, wow. And Mina, Mina Kolb played Lisa Kudrow's mother, and I had set up a movie... and we did in two weeks we basically improvised the movie going one scene at a time that I had organized and then we had somehow like we could make a script like Mike Lee would do if he was doing that. We never made the movie. Uh. But the circumstance was that this young couple was getting married and it was really about it was a comedy about getting married and what can go wrong and Mm -hmm. they they were about to appear on a big quiz show called Kiss the Bride which I tried to set up desperately as an actual quiz show but I still can't get anybody (laughs) interested I think it's a great idea. What is it? Well, what is really... Yeah. What's Kiss the Bride? Kiss the Bride. The show. The, Kiss the Bride the is a game show. show and it's it's a, there's a giant board laid out on yeah. a movie studio, in a, in a TV studio. Yeah. And the bride and the groom play for various prizes. And you land on a, on a square and, it's, and it says... Um, what three things did your mother-in-law do this morning and you right. have to know it and you guess things and then there are games like beat the clock and you have to you have to there's There's a game called bridal night and you have to do six things that are sort of like metaphorical silly sexy things blindfolded yeah. and fall in vats of dough and you know just all it's, it's, you it's just like have to frame joke. it as a reality show and yeah. you'll, you'll sell it oh no nobody wants it okay you've tried oh I tried so hard <laughs> it was stupid <laughs> <laughs> but 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 in this thing, yeah. Minor Kolb's character was, she was just a bitch. Right. And she was the grandmother of the family. And Lisa, Lisa was her, Kudrow was her granddaughter. Yeah. And, it, Lisa, and Lisa's one situation, we didn't tell her anything about right. lunch, was she's out of rehab. Yeah. And she shouldn't have left rehab, but she wanted to come home for the wedding. Right. So she's just like this vicious bitch. But because it's Lisa... It's hysterically funny, but it's real. It's completely a bitch. And she sits down, and her grandmother, maybe Mina was young enough then to be her mother. It was a while ago. Now Mina's about 92. She could have been her mother when we did it. And we don't have footage, but we tape-recorded it. They sat there at the table and destroyed each other, but because it was a family and there were other people there it had rules you had to you could do things but it right. was more like you would really do it if you were in a family you, right. you just yeah. don't say get out of here i hate you i'm never talking to you right. you had to deal with each other and it it's the funniest hateful relationship between a child and a grown up well Lisa being a you know 34 year old child at the time yeah. that i've ever seen in anything but in general, fighting is a rule. You do not want to fight in, in your improvisation. You want to d- disagree and you can do different things. But out and out fighting is a, can be a closed door and, to anything. And you don't play. The weird
0: thing is, like you say, it's funny because it was her. But like you don't play for laughs, right? I mean, like when you're improvising, like I always wonder that. I mean, there's a slight tweak in people. I think I noticed it best where, you know, like when you watch. This isn't improvising. This is acting. But like, mm-hmm. you know, what is the difference between, you know, De Niro playing, you, you know,
1: the, the character in Casino and De Niro playing the character and analyze this. Well, you just put your finger on one of my favorite things i like to think about. What makes things funny and why aren't they funny? Yeah. And it can be the same thing and the same person and yeah. thing. And, and some people can't do it. You know what I mean? There are people who are only made not to be funny and there are some people who are made don't be, not to be serious. Yeah. But an awful lot of people can go either way. And it's very hard to analyze it, but you just sort of brought it up. So I'll, I, I'll tell you, I believe that the best funny actors can turn on a s- little switch in their head right. that knows it's going to be funny right. and then proceeds to be very real, but it's funny. Right, and I think it has something to do with the script. It's everything, but the same material. You, yeah. can, you can do a lot of tragedies and have them be funny if you really want it also, to be. Right, and also ha- who you're playing off of, mm-hmm. and yeah... But yeah, it is a little switch, but a lot right? Of it, a lot of it has to I work with Milton Berle. Yeah. You obviously you know who Milton Berle sure. is probably. Um, I directed him on a tw- on an episode of Amazing Stories, that thing that Steven Spielberg yeah. produced and I he he was Martians came down to earth and they had to find the funniest person on earth because they were because they loved American television. Did you did you end up seeing his penis at all? No, but my father did. Okay. He came th- to be, a, he to did sure. a, He did an act. I want to make and, sure at, somebody at the, in your family saw his penis. That's at the all. Chicago Theater, yeah. there were seven brothers, yeah. and he came there to get the box office receipts. Yeah. The Balaban brothers, Abe and Barney and yeah. my dad and Harry and yeah. everybody else, were in the office because they had offices above the theater. And Milton came by and he said, okay, we got the receipts, we're going to do two shows on Wednesday, but don't forget I can't do the show on Thursday. Yeah. And I know you all want to see my penis, so here it is. <laughs> and he took out his penis and he put it on the table. <laughs> uh, seriously. <laughs> I don't even think, I don't want that penis. (laughs) But did you bring that up to Milton when you work with him? Do you remember my (laughs) uncle? I think he did it everywhere. I don't think he could have differentiated (laughs) who it was. When I worked with him, he would say to me, okay, I know we're doing this little scene now. Now, is it supposed to be funny? Yeah. Because I'll be Milty. Yeah. And if it's not supposed to be funny, I'll be Milton. So who am I in this scene? Am I Milton or am I Milty? And I would have to tell him which he was. And generally, because it was an Amazing Stories episode, he was milty like all the time. But it was kind of, he, he could be, and right. most of the Turn comedians, off. Alan King is a sure. great example. Yeah. He can be funny mad in a movie, and yeah. he can be in The Godfather. I mean, he's that good. That's right.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's that difficult for comedians to not be funny. Uh, I, I, I do.
1: Like, but I mean, they can actually be good actors. Yes. Yeah. That's the, you know, more than many other people.
0: No, I, I, I believe that's true. If they get past the self consciousness, you know, I think it has to do with self consciousness with the uh, comics acting. You know, the ones that are good are the ones that can get beyond that.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think they even control it. I just think they can. Sure. They can't, yeah.
0: I, I think that's true about acting in general. I would say so. Yeah. So when did you really start in earnest to act?
1: Never, I'm sorry to say. No, um, I was in the plays in I would say in second grade when I was the troll in the Three Billy Goats Gruff. <laughs> I was by then pretty interested <laughs> in being an actor. But so you do this. What do you do after? Did you go to college? I went to summer stock because right because I went actors, yeah. because I went to a uh, second city. I met people. Right. and this girl that I knew uh, was really nice. She was. H.L. Mencken's granddaughter or, or niece or something, huh. Robin Mencken, she uh-huh. was really smart. One of these people was going to Summer Stock, a guy at yeah. Little Juniors Theater on the square in Southern Illinois. So she said, come with me, you'll yeah. audition, you'll sing, you'll get a thing. Right. And, uh, yeah. and I went down and I ad- auditioned they said, oh yeah, you, you could fit into this thing. Are you willing to work for free and clean the toilets? And I said, yes, I'd love to do that. And I went and did a season of Summer Stock there and that's when I started acting. So I ended up there and then came back for a second season and yeah. got my equity card and then, you know, made, I was very, very aggressive, much more aggressive. I, I would be doing so much better if I could have never changed to been 17 all the time. Yeah. I was so aggressive as a young person. And I auditioned and I got in a play when I was 18 in, in Stock in Chicago, yeah. at at um, Carl so, Stone's Pheasant Run Playhouse, and got a part on a television series and went to California and was on a TV series. Which series... You've never heard of it. It's Wayne, called Hank. Hank. Yeah. It's, it's a misbegotten television series. And then I went back to be a freshman in college. But, but So the
0: only training you really had was at the Second City.
1: Yes. And then after a couple of years in New York, I studied with, with Uta Hagen at the HP Studio, and I took class with Uta.
0: So, so you come back, you go, and then you go to college after the Hank experience. Then I go to college. Do you stay
1: with your, uh, your grandpa, Sam? No, I went, Yeah, I did sometimes stay with them. Yeah, when he came I did. out. No, but he died when, when I was about 15. Uh-huh. So he died and then my grandmother moved to Chicago. Um All right,
0: so you go back to your freshman college and you what do you do? You just do 4 years or you do I acting? I do what 2
1: do years and I I get a little part on the Guiding Light, like an under five. In you New know, York, come in New York and you and you're on the show and you're allowed to say three things like yeah. hello or oops or something like right. that. And I did that. Yeah. And uh, then my wife-to-be, uh, who is my best friend in college, she played all my musical auditions because I, I pretended I could sing and uh-huh. dance and all that stuff because I didn't know what I would ever do. Yeah. And she came to me and she said, look, they're casting for Charlie Brown the musical and you can sing and they need people who are five foot five and under. Think of the chances of you getting a part. It's like already not that many people are as short as you are. Yeah. So suddenly my being a dwarf became sort of a positive thing in my life. And I went and I auditioned to be the, the, the brilliant Linus yeah. and began a succession of the only parts I get are if you're supposed to be really, really brilliant, like you're a doctor or a yeah. scientist. And yeah. that's what I've been doing my whole life. <laughs> so you got part. I don't part. intend to. I'm not that smart. I'm not that well-educated, but, but I see, but I give the impression to people that I'm studious. Yeah, you seem like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. Okay, but you know, you can act. Sort of, yeah. But I mean, so you play Linus. So I was in Linus, and that was for about a year. And then On got, Broadway? It was off Broadway. It wasn't on Broadway, but it was a huge hit. It was the first giant money making off Broadway musical because off Broadway used to be, you know, avant garde. And was with Charles Broadway. Schultz there? No, he doesn't travel, so he never ever came. He didn't fly, but obviously it was with his blessing, and we yeah. all got a we all got a little thing signed. Charles Schultz, welcome, Bob. And oh, well, nice. I hope I can find it. I'll sell it next year on eBay. Yeah, and um, and then I got cast in two movies. I got cast in the Midnight Cowboy. Uh, when I was in my se- senior year of high school after I was finishing Charlie Brown. You were that
0: young for that bathroom role?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, well, you, I was supposed to be 16 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was like 19 or I something. remember
0: being very excited because I, I, I think when I saw Midnight Cowboy. The bathroom role, is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. The, uh, no, but when I remember because like, I'd gotten familiar with you. I think the first time I really w- knew who you were was in Altered States.
1: Oh, like, because okay. like, I
0: was in high school and I was a fan of Hertz, and you know, we we're very excited about the mm-hmm. movie. I mean, I don't. That remember. was
1: Bill's first movie, by the way. Right?
0: Yeah, and I and I was into like I liked I liked William Hurt. I liked it, and I liked. I'm trying to see one. So that's 1980, right? a year before right. I graduated high school. Okay. And then I'm like, who's that guy? So then, you know, I start to follow you a bit, and then some. At some point, I saw Midnight Cowboy, either for the first time or again. Yeah, that was rib- that. That was like. Eleven or twelve years before *Altered State. That's right. So, like, it, well, I was um, fifty-four, so I wouldn't have—I don't know—that I would have seen right, it right. when it came out. But I, I remember seeing it at the
1: revival house. You had to, because if you saw it on television in those days, I wasn't in it. Right. You so couldn't I have the, my scene. Right. So I saw it at the revival house, and I'm like, oh shit, that's Bob! Like, was,
0: there was there was an excitement knowing that was you. It's like where's Waldo?
2: You know, <laughs> and you he, saying, like he doesn't Waldo have
1: the then. biggest part, but yeah, it's interesting. Look, he's in the you store. Had the, you had the Waldo glasses. <laughs> yes. <it? laughs> but I don't wear red and white ever. No, well, I don't ever. want you know. Yeah, people think I don't of want that. want to become uh, uh, That's really Waldo. Yeah, but the bathroom scene, like uh, that was a that was a good scene. It was fine. We, I, uh, and I got the part because I because the auditions for that thing. The scenes were, didn't have a lot of dialogue in them, so John Schlesinger, John Voight was there, and John just called me in, and I didn't know much about this thing or what it was. I thought it, it was a TV be... show, frankly. That's, really? Why, how could it be a TV show? I literally thought it was I wasn't sure what yeah. it was. I thought maybe it was a TV show. Yeah. And I went in, and he said, now, you and John Voight, you've just, you've just blown him yeah. in the theater. Now you're in, now you're in the bathroom. Improvise something. And he wants your watch, and that's the circumstances. You don't want to give him your watch, because your mother will find out that you might have to tell your mother you were right. giving some guy a blowjob and gave him your watch. So that was improvised? Well, it was in the audition. Yeah. But believe me, I could have gotten a, like an Academy Award for best... <laughs> <laughs> like Audition. teeny little part. And so I wasn't really a supporting player, but you yeah. could have said the best teeny part. I was wonderful. I could always improvise much better than I could ever act. Yeah. And then we get there and we have to do this. And we did the scene backwards. There were three scenes. One, I meet him on the street in front of the theater. And then I'm in the theater on my knees for like a hundred hours with my knees getting rubbed red. We did not commit a sexual act or do anything. I just disappeared below the seat and he watched a movie where a rocket ship was taking off thereby right. telling you what was happening. Yeah. And then I'm in the, in the bathroom and... I came up with a wonderful piece of business that I'm throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they kept that in yeah. the movie, I can't remember. They I was there washing yeah, they my kept mouth. In the out. Movie. Oh, it was yeah. really kind yeah. of sleazy that I was doing it. Yeah. And and we did that part first. And that was in May and then in july we yeah. did the thing in the movie theater and then in october we did the part where i meet him in front of the theater so it's was like well i guess i've really been introduced to movies because like i don't even know who i am or where i'm going at <laughs> this right. point and he grabs my watch in the first scene and, and we're doing it and i rest my hand away and i go and crashed my i i I, a chin. I, I really hit myself in yeah. the face really badly yeah. with my with my yeah. hand. i almost got knocked out i remembered i was like dizzy for the rest of the day i thought well, it'll be good for my part. Uh-huh. And that's how actors are. Look, they cut my foot off. It'll, it'll have real pain. It'll play. Yeah, real yeah. pain. Well, usually I went to visit Uncle Barney, who was president yeah. of Paramount, which released the Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> so I came to see him. And I was in yeah. his office at the Paramount building. Yeah. or uh, Maybe by the New was York Golf Gulf and Western in New yeah. York. And he, he was only the chairman of the board then because it was all getting corporate and everything else. And I walk in and I notice the cans of film for the Midnight Cowboy sitting on his desk. And he said, yeah, I'm going to see it this weekend. And I'm like... Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that know that'll be in fun. It? I think he knew I was in it, but yeah. I don't think he really knew what it was about. Yeah. And he never mentioned it. I, didn't, <laughs> I saw him like at Passover or whatever. He did Nothing. not a word, not Nothing. a word. Nothing. Yeah. So then you're sort of off and running, huh? Often. Uh, often. I wouldn't call it running. I would call it creeping <laughs> yeah. forward. But, but you did like some hippie movie? Then I got into <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I got into Plaza Suite, which Mike Nichols was directing on Broadway with George C. Scott. Oh, Who that was the play. There? It was a Neil Simon play, and I I had a little cute, funny part in it, and it went well. George C. Scott. Yeah. How was that? Oh, for your first thing to be with people of that magnitude? I loved them both, but George was very, very complicated, but not to me personally much. And Maureen was the earth mother the great loving fabulous amazing earth mother they both drank a lot but when Maureen drank she just got funnier and sweeter and and very outgoing and kind of inappropriate but lovely and sweet all the time the non-drunk Maureen was like a church lady, practically. Right. But the drunk marine would like... We took her to dinner with my dad <laughs> yeah. once at some fancy restaurant we yeah. went to. And literally, in the middle of dinner, she got up, stood on the table, and started putting cigarettes out, spitting in her palm and putting cigarettes out in the palm of her hand. <laughs> but it was never bad. She was never mean to anyone. <laughs> and anything. how about George? George could get really wicked because he, he was tormented. I mean, you know. Yeah. And he hated being an actor. He thought it was... I don't, don't know if he ever said it but I mean clearly he thought it was debasing it wasn't man's work to be an actor <laughs> but it was the thing he did brilliantly that he got rewarded for yeah. and I loved him but I was always scared he might turn on me but he never did I mean I was too insignificant to turn right. on Right. so you know I loved him and when we got to, out of town in Philadelphia and the play was about to have its first public performance George wasn't there he just simply went away for a week um, and, and we weren't supposed to talk about it or yeah. anything but I mean well, understand he did it no, we just didn't have a play and we'd come in, maybe he'll show up, you know. Oh they my didn't God. know where he was. Yeah. And then a week later they came in, maybe five days later they came in. Well, obviously we knew what had been going on. As cool as he was, he knew every line. He was so professional. He always yeah. was really professional. He yeah. didn't perform drunk or anything like yeah. that. But he'd gone on a bender and they just had to wait for it to be over. You couldn't you can't push a drunk to get off a bender. I huh. mean, you know, especially if they're Famous movie volatile. stars. And volatile. So they, they came to us. There were only like four people in the play, maybe five. And they said, here's the rules. Nobody says welcome back. Mm. Nobody mentions that he was gone. We just pretend nothing happened.
2: <laughs> and it was fine.
1: And he never, never had any trouble, no problem. He got great reviews. He was brilliant. He and Maureen adored each other. You know, great actors working together really do appreciate each other. And he was great with the other
0: actors. Oh, uh, yeah. Seems so intense.
1: Yeah. Well, he was very, he was very... Uh, he was very ambivalent about his work. It's
0: interesting, isn't it? Is it good or it's like it's weird, isn't it?
1: Oh, uh, I guess no. Well, it's not Especially uncommon the, for actors to desperately not want to be in front of people. It's such you know, a that, big career, though.
0: Right. I mean, but it sounds like it was more than not wanting to be in front of people. It sounds like you no, know, he
1: didn't was, not want to. He thought it was he thought it was right. it made him I think repulsed that what he did repulsed him. Huh.
0: So what, when was the next big movie for you? I mean, like, I see well, that's when
1: I got I got Catch-22 from being, right, in, that, I remember from being that. in that play. And when I auditioned for Mike, I mean, yeah. I couldn't believe I was auditioning for
2: Mike Nichols, yeah.
1: and I was only, like, yeah. 21 at the time or something. Right. And and uh, during the audition, he said, have you ever read the book Catch-22? And I said, yeah, we all read it. And he said, maybe you'll be in Catch-22. And I said, okay, that, that's okay with me. And my audition, you know, like, oh my God. Yeah. And uh, then during the play... I probably had to read for it. I don't remember really. And, uh, and then I got to be in, I was going to be Milo Minderbinder, which would have been, and that's what John Voight ended up being Milo. That's right. And instead I got to be Yosarian's roommate, yeah. Alan Arkin's roommate, Captain Orr. Yeah. What, uh, have you, uh, did you see the movie? I saw it then and I saw it a year ago. And how'd it hold up? I think it holds up better than it did when it came out because it was under a great burden when it came out, which was the most famous book in the world, the most beloved book in the world, and a very hard book to translate yeah. into anything. And it also had the double bur- burden that MASH came out m- weeks before Catch Twenty Two came true? out. how oh, it did. And all I know is MASH was—you know—the history Huge. of MASH and all yeah. that. No, they hated it. The studio was going to burn it. And oh, really? they have, they, well, I did a little documentary about Robert Altman before I knew him terribly well. Um and in it he told me the story of uh, they had done Tora Torah, Krakatoa East of Java, you know, things yeah. like that. They were all like twenty million dollar movies right. which now is like a two hundred dollar million dollar movie. Yeah. And they let Robert Altman make mash for two million dollars or a million point six dollars. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you know, he's some famous T V guy, we don't care, it'll be nothing. He was forty eight years old, he's a has been, you know yeah. it'll all be over and but in his contract it does say dga i don't know if they had a dga then but you had to get one preview so they reluctantly said okay we'll go to san francisco and give you a preview and whoever the head of the studio was like now robert they're going to hate your movie we hate it already we're about to like burn the negative so mm. we're willing to do this but just let's leave after the first 10 minutes you know we don't want to even see it yeah so they go to see the movie the rob robert described this to me you know, it gets dark, the audience is sort of sitting, they know nothing about it because they don't, in those days, they didn't warn you too much about what the preview was going to be. And he said they were sat, nobody said a word during the first 10 minutes of the movie. But they they didn't laugh, but they just didn't rustle or do anything. So yeah. Robert thought maybe this is going well and the studio had said, they really, really hate it. Are you sure you don't want to leave right now? And he said, no. So the movie goes on. And it builds and it builds and it builds. There's some laughter. There's some laughs. There's like, people are getting so excited. And and in the movie, the movie's over. For 10 minutes, people stood on their chairs and screamed because it captured the anti-war movement. It captured the spirit of it. It, Nobody had seen a movie like MASH before. There was Robert who had only done scripted television before this. and. I don't, I don't think he had done That Cold Day in the Park yet, I can't remember, but there was like no chance that he was going to do something. Yeah. And can you imagine being in the audience wow. the first time a genius shows you what he can do and he never showed it to anybody before. It was very, very exciting and then it became a big hit deal.
0: Wow. That's a great story. It's a good story. Yeah.
1: Did you do any Almond movies? Yes, I produced and I was in Gosford Park. Oh, Gosford Park, yeah, of course. But uh, did you act in any of the other ones? No, except I made his little do- I made a little documentary about him, which is actually kind of vaguely. Did you do that
0: during Gosford Park or no, because of it Gosford in, I Park? No, I did it in
1: about 10 years before Gosford Park.
0: No kidding. So you're sort of fascinated with him.
1: I loved him and all my friends were friends with him and he he was very much of the community of, of actors. He really did. Whatever demons he had or didn't have, he adored actors. He was great with actors. He didn't like movie stars. The only people you ever really didn't get along with there were a couple of movie stars. I don't have to mention them, they know exactly who they are. Yeah. They were like oil and water. It was like, No, you don't get a special trailer. No, you don't get the only close up. You know, people would say, Why are those people having lines? They're just extras. Well, Shut up! You're in a movie. You have to do what I tell Everybody's you. Everybody's
0: going to be babbling.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and some people did not react well to it. The
0: Cave and Mrs. Miller is one of my favorite movies.
1: Yeah, they're they're. It's great to see them after some time goes by too.
0: Oh man, I, I got to watch Catch Twenty Two now. So you work with Arkin early on. That must have been fun.
1: And Alan cast me in a Jules Pfeiffer play called Little called The White House Murder Case after I worked with him in Catch Twenty Two, and I got to be in that with. All the great people from Second City in the next generation, like Paul Dooley and Andrew Duncan and Tony Holland, and I, you probably don't even know who they are, but they were really like, as great as Mike and Elaine were, they were in that ilk, uh-huh. kind of, they just didn't get to be famous, they were just character actors. And uh, Alan directed it? Alan directed it, and it was fantastic. He's a, a bright
0: time. guy, right? I'd love to talk to him, I have no sense of him.
1: It would be very hard for you to find him, it would be kind of like... You mean sitting there? It would be hard to even, no. Or just no, no, if he ever came. I mean, he's delightful and yeah. smart and wonderful. And I've worked with him like five or six times. Yeah, He's elusive. He doesn't want to talk about himself. Yeah, He doesn't want to talk about acting. He just would like to live his life and, yeah. be, and star in a movie once in a while. Yeah, which he does. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. he does. So I would say to you, I'll find out. I'll tell you to come. He's not he, he wouldn't come.
0: He's not going to do it.
1: I don't think so. But he, you, you, have a great instinct of who would be good to talk to, obviously, and he would be great. He's one of those guys, funny or not funny. It would be like if you said you wanted to talk to Christopher Guest. What are the chances that he would sit down with you? He might. He, he's less reclusive than Alan is, but I don't, I don't know that he would come. So,
0: uh, so then you, like, you go on. You do the Close Encounters, which you uh, you play. Like, and then is that how you got altered states because of Close Encounters?
1: I don't really know. It all sort of blends like mush. But in, you know, in in close. I mean, I in, I love Close Encounters.
0: But in Close Encounters, you're a scientific guy too, right?
1: I'm another scientist. Yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, and
1: right. I was in three, and I I did three three out of space movies. I did well, Altered States. I consider an out of space. Movie. Yeah. And Close Encounters. And then I did 2010, the sequel to 2001, where I mysteriously play the Indian guru, Dr. Chandra, without any makeup or anything. I'm just Dr. Chandra. <laughs> and I invented Hal, and I have to kill Hal. <laughs> yeah, you did? I killed Hal. Oh, so you But uh, it was very sad for me. And Dr. I actually, Chandra
0: is based on, like, uh, you know, uh, Ramdas. Yes, Baba yeah, Ramdas. Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: He's, you know, he's another, well, they all hoodwinked people, though, don't you think? Well, maybe yeah, Baba Ramdas was a good guy.
0: Ramdas is still around. I think he he's become sort of the guy uh, to deal with transitioning into death. Uh, he's a well. That's you know, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, a,
1: it's but a, if you don't transition into death, well, do you die anyway?
0: Yes, you do. It's just, uh, you know, it's just how more, you want to feel at the end. In that last second. It's that last second. How do you want to be okay? You want to be okay with it, or you want to fight? I'm not
1: it? sure. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't.
1: It's, we not No, to I want him. to be. I want somebody to hit me on the head. Yeah. Why is that hammer sitting on the desk? For Is you that to, to hitch yourself on your head. <laughs> it's for an easy transition. I
0: will say this, that your uh, heart attack in deconstructing Harry was ju- a genius. Well, thank you. Very I didn't funny. think of it. you know, he wrote that. No, it wasn't about the writing. It was just a way of how it happened. I remember. I,
1: I really enjoyed that movie. I thought he made a very good movie. I do, I did too. I, I did. After we made the movie, and I don't know if you remember this, but there's a scene in it where I'm dead and I visit Woody Allen in jail. Yeah. Where he's dead and he visits me in jail. I right. forget what it is. Yeah. And there's a line in that scene says, what's jail like? I think I said to him, and he said, I think he says, it's a lot like being on jury duty. Yeah. I think that's what he said. Yeah. So, two months after that, I'm on jury duty. and. All the stuff is happening with Sun Yi, and it's a mess, and it's all terrible. Maybe it's six months later, yeah. and we're in the giant pool in the beginning before we get put into individual groups to be selected to see what juries we're going to be on. And he gets to A first, and like Woody Allen, Woody, Woody raises his hand. Oh, Woody's here, Bob Balaban. I and then he looks over and sees me, and it's like, oh shit, we're on jury duty again. And then we get taken into a smaller room, yeah, and that that's where the, the voix dire, I guess they call it, whatever. And they have to figure out who's going to be on the jury duty. And is there anybody in here who has any reason they think they should not serve on a jury duty, on a jury? And Woody raises his hand. He said, yes. Why do you think you shouldn't be on a jury? And he said, well, I've had some interaction with the law lately and I don't have a lot of faith in the judicial system. And it's like. Okay, get out of here. You don't have to be on jury duty. (laughs) Really? And then we go along, and I'm, you know, and I'm about to get selected. And the a, a court. Maybe I shouldn't be telling this story. And a court person comes in. Whatever they call those people. A bailiff. Well, one of them. Yeah, I don't clerk. think he was his. Fa- he was a clerk. He wasn't uh-huh. as fancy as yeah. a bailiff. And he came in and he said, "Excuse me, Mister Malenpan, I see us." He said, "Come with me." And I'm like, "Oh shit, what do I do?" Maybe they discovered an old crime I committed, and they take me out. And I said, "What's happening?" He said, "Woody says you don't have to be on jury duty, so you don't have to be on jury duty." Oh my god! So Woody said, "Get my get Bob off, get get, get that and, guy." And he came, and it was sweet. So, how did your
0: relationship with? Um, I mean, I love altered states. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I it was a said-
1: very painful movie to be involved with. Really? Well, he's dead, so I can talk about him. Ken it a Russell? Moment. Yeah. Yeah. I loved him. Yeah. But he hated Patty. And yeah. his goal in, make, in the movie, his goal in directing the movie was to kill Patty. Chayefsky. That, that was his goal. And Patty died not long after the movie. That's terrible. Patty was a genius. He was a genius. But he was used to the New York... School of movie making in which everybody was your friend, and Howard Godfrey was the producer of all of his other movies, and Arthur Penn would be a friend of his, and they'd all sit around, and Patty would whisper to Arthur, yeah. "I think that shot's a little this." Yeah, or do yeah. you think he really should be this agitated? And it was like it was like a play. Yeah, well, you don't do that in movie making in the hard, harsh world of real movie making. Yeah. but nor do you get a contract that Patty had. I think he was literally the only screenwriter that I've ever heard of who had a Dramatist Guild contract which meant that you could not change a word of his dialogue or anything else that was spoken in the movie without checking the pad. He had complete approval over it. As you know, people buy people's movies and they turn it into Cinderella. They can do whatever they want. You couldn't do that in the movie. So Arthur Penn was the director of Altered States. And it's getting kind of close to doing the movie and we get this little message, well, Arthur isn't directing the movie anymore. Well, this is a huge rupture because they're all... Rock solid friends, you know the New York kind of friendships yeah. that really span decades and decades. Yeah, you know, artistically anyway. Yeah. And well, what's going to happen? Well, Ken Russell's directing the movie, and he's approved the four of you who were cast: Blair Brown and me and Bill Hurt and Charlie Hayde. And he's approved you, so we're just going to make the movie, and it'll be fine. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's interesting. They're very different, you know. Yeah. Ken and Arthur Penn.
0: Sure. And what had had Ken done at that point? Like Women in Love? Everything. Oh, we'd done all the
1: crazy things, music lovers and and all sorts of things where everybody transmogrified into demons. In some way, it made sense because Ken could deal with the the world of psychedelics, only he was a little too involved with the world of psychedelics, and it really wasn't a very good match. But you liked the movie, so it worked on some level. But on the first day, we had four weeks of rehearsal because Bill Hurt, comes from the theater and it was his first movie and he and his agent wanted him to have a real rehearsal period and frankly, his character talks a mile a minute from the beginning to the end of the movie so having rehearsal was really good. It was quite a normal rehearsal period with the four of us. They didn't have, you know, the other parts and for about a week it was kind of going on and then we noticed in the second week that the lunch break was taking two or three hours and in the third week it was like all day there was a lunch break and we like said hello at the end of the day because He was drinking. And Ken was oh. going off and oh. doing whatever he yeah. was doing. And and Patty's coming up to us saying, Well, I'm so surprised. I was really worried about Ken Russell. And here we are and it seems very normal and like it's gonna be okay. We're so encouraged and you can't what do you say? I mean, yeah. I didn't you know yeah. I don't want to be I'm not gonna be the one to say <laughs> anything. And, and it's up to him if he wants to drink. He can probably direct very well when he's drunk. Right. But not really. Yeah. So what happened was the first day of shooting Everything's very normal. It's a very relaxed little scene. The two couples who are best friends, who are scientists, have come back from they haven't seen each other. Somebody was on sabbatical. The woman playing the character of my wife is nine months pregnant. Yeah. Blair Brown is there with Bill, because they've been away and we're all together. Yeah. And we're having lunch at a beautiful little cafe, outdoor cafe somewhere, and the first few hours are like a normal movie. And then all of a sudden, Ken suggests that everybody get drunk during the scene. Well, I don't, I hate to drink. I think alcohol is repulsive. I'm sorry to say that if the alcohol industry is listening, I'm sorry. sorry Don't worry about it. They can take the hit. I just don't like to. Yeah, they can take it. So, you know, some people are drinking and then it's like, well, pretend to throw up and it just got wilder and wilder. And all this is, is one of those little interim scenes in a movie that's necessary because now the story's going to begin because we're all back together again. And it just got wilder and wilder and suddenly it's lunch. And... We're hearing yelling from the trailer you couldn't quite tell who was yelling and yeah. what was happening and then patty's not there anymore this is the first day of filming and he was going to be there every second of the day and he did do a lot of leaning over ken's shoulder and yeah. saying do you really think a pregnant woman who's a scientist who's nine months drunk is going to drink 20 gallons of yeah. you know beer right, i right. mean this is unlikely this would ha- aside from everything else so they and i had a screaming fight patty left for new york And Ken had just gone wild. And the image that ended that day was 12 studio executives in giant limousines. Everybody had their own limousine have come to watch the debacle, And Ken is on a crane... A crane shot. We're just four people having lunch, and nothing much is happening. He's on a crane. I remember. I could be wrong. Yeah. He had a cowboy hat. And he was going yippee, yippee, in a crane, like yeah. thirty feet up in the air, shooting. The you know, being the cinematographer, I think he kicked off the, the cinematographer, yeah. and he was just shooting. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the end of the movie. If it would say in a scene, uh, the the mysterious little. Uh, Monkey-like creature played by Miguel Goudreau, a great ballet dancer. You see a shadowy hand. It's got a little hair on it. You see a a distant shadow in the thing. And instead of that, there's a shot of Miguel Goudreau fully naked with a little hair covering his genitals because monkeys have hair. Standing in front in the bright daylight, you see this thing. Well, it's not scary and it's not mysterious. He's just a small ballet dancer with a lot of hair on his body. (laughs) Yeah. And anything that Patty wanted in the movie that Ken could... Fuck up. He changed because his contract, Patty's contract in the Dramatist Guild, only said you can't change the words. If it said they're in a dark cave yeah. and they're wandering around and there's a little snake over there, it would become literally Blair Brown and Bill Hurt wearing white suits, drinking tea in a white room in a white garden.
2: yeah
1: <laughs> Where did that happen? So it's done as spite, you think? Oh, and, well, I think so because. When he would send dailies, Ken would get las figuras de las muertas and little puppets and the skeletons would be dancing around saying, fuck you, Patty. Yeah. I think it was I think it was spiteful. <laughs> I don't think he did it because it was like he thought Patty would so I, was So maybe fun.
0: I got to watch the movie again. But I remember it was sort of like, you know, you had to suspend a lot of disbelief to think uh-huh. that, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. The primordial beginning of the universe was happening in that lab uh, that you guys were working in, uh-huh. and that he was, you know, you know, it, it, they became matter and antimatter in a hallway of an apartment or whatever it was. But uh,
1: but I remember. Well, it would have been easier if it had been subtler. You know, I mean, there were ways that you could have. Sure. I think I don't know. Well, but listen, Ken. Whatever I horrible things I said about Ken Russell, there was something really the sign of a real director. Is that somehow their personality gets mixed up with the movie, and you get that you get some kind of feeling during the movie? And I think you did get the, the feeling. It yeah. wasn't what it wasn't what the writer wanted, but also, Ken gave instructions to the actors to everybody speak twice as fast as he would normally speak because again he couldn't change the dialogue, but if he could make it unintelligible, that was a step in the right direction. Oh my
0: God! What a what a nightmare! I just don't know where these guys get the entitlement to do this shit.
1: Well, he was an auteur director, and his first directors. His first movies were really interesting, uh, and he went out on a limb and he just got too far out on a limb, and that was his psyche working. I he guess didn't so. do it to he was malicious in a way to Patty, but he didn't do it to be malicious. So, how did you start your
0: um, relationship with Guest and those guys?
1: Christopher Guest and I were the two husbands of the two girls and girlfriends Claudia Wilde's movie. Uh-huh. So, we met when we were 30, uh-huh. about. And we, re- I, re- I loved him, and yeah. we liked each other, and I trusted him because in the end of the movie, the girlfriends go off together. No, I don't think you know, not to fall in love or anything, but they become pals. Right. And the ex husbands of the two girlfriends, we drive off into the sunset on Christopher's motorcycle, which he really... Christopher is so macho. Do you yeah. know? Do you know about that? He's no. like, he was a like a black belt karate. He was a motorcycle driver. I mean, he's just everything. Yeah. I mean, I just. Um, I just am very in awe of his many gifts. So, okay, so you guys meet on the movie, and so we you're, on the movie. You, we a really good time. You're and in awe of him, and I trusted him so much that I was willing to get on the back of a motorcycle and hold on to him for dear life as we drove off into the sunset. And I don't like motorcycles. Yeah, I'm kind of a chicken. Yeah. as you could probably tell.
2: <laughs> yeah, no.
1: And then ten years later. maybe 15 years later I hadn't seen him or known him or anything I just liked him he called and he said you want to be in a movie I'm doing an improvised movie it was the first one waiting for Guffman because people sort of think that he directed the Rob Reiner movie Spinal Tap but he was in it and was very crucial to it as was Michael McKean and Harry Shearer and others Uh, But he didn't didn't direct it. it, So this time, the reason these movies got made is because Rob Reiner was the big executive at Castle Rock. And nobody in the world at that point, nor should they ever do it again, would give a green light to an improvised movie. It's a recipe for disaster. (laughs) But but Rob knew Chris well enough to know that Chris could probably do something special. And he really did. Uh And so Chris called me and he said, would you be in this thing? And I said, yeah sure, I'd love to be. Where do we go? What does it start? And he explained it was completely improvised. I didn't realize that that meant literally, there's an outline, it's not terribly long, and it will say they all meet and they discuss the show. And that's the first scene. And then Christopher and Bob talk about making plays or yeah, you know, yeah. whatever
0: it is. So this for Guffman. Yeah, for
1: Guffman. Yeah. And then Christopher on the phone said, oh, by the way, you're going to be the musical director. And, you know, they make an assumption because Michael Higgins and, and Michael McKean and Christopher, they all play a 100 instruments and they can sight read and they could I don't know if they can dance, but, like, they, God, they can do everything. Yeah. I can barely do one thing properly. So he <laughs> says to me, so your character, of course, plays the piano. You probably play the piano. And I said... <laughs> I couldn't do my Close Encounters thing all over again and pretend that I spoke French when I didn't really speak French. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll be honest with you. I've had piano lessons, and if you give me... I, I can't read lead sheets, but if you give me the music written out six months before the movie and a coach, I can learn all my music that I have to play. He said, we'll give you an assistant who plays the piano, and that's how that worked out. <laughs> and I had the best time I ever had being in a movie. I, 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 to feel... The, the joy of just coming to work and going, I kind of vaguely know who I am, but I'm going to learn today and I'm going to be with these other actors who are o- we're only there to give each other things. It's like, you know, that, truthfully, that is what acting is really supposed to be about, is taking from people who are giving to you and you giving back to them. It's huh. not like, it's you know, whenever anybody's in trouble, whenever I'm in trouble, which is not infrequently necessarily, the first thing I do is, oh, I, I, did, I forgot to listen. I have to listen. Huh. And when you're listening, I'm not worrying about, well, how will I act? How will react? What will happen? It's like, you don't do anything. It's just like, okay, now I'm listening. And then you you go to places you weren't planning to because, right. uh, because it's because it's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. In the simplest of ways. I just did an improvised movie. I found it to be very, I, I should have had
0: a better, uh, I should have had your attitude about it. I found it to be kind of exhausting and intense.
1: Well, it's all up to the director. You know, Christopher sets... When I say rules, they're non-rules, really. Right. Very early on about, you know, please don't come prepared, except if you're Fred Willard. And then Fred Willard's characters come prepared. Fred doesn't really come prepared. Right. His characters tell jokes, so he's got to... His character has to come up with a bunch of jokes. And then he comes in and and does something that I don't... I've never seen anybody else do that well. <laughs> yeah. But mostly it's, you know, Bob, just be there. Um, you can... I don't know. It's... It, yeah. And he do not try to be funny. This is not a, you know, if you are funny, that's great. Um, whatever it is, he, he carries a very unspoken feeling of, you're going to be great. Yeah. No, not everybody's great. If you notice it, there are some people who are in these movies that don't get to be a number two, three, and four. Right. So a few people drop out along the way. But your director in your improvised movie...
0: No, she was great. I just found it to be like, there was a part where I I, I don't... Um, I. It was hard for me to find a way not to get stuck in some character things. Like, you know, like through a few scenes, I'm like, well, I'm going to be this guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the decision. But you sort of, I mean, I would, in the Christopher Guest movies, when it worked out the best for me, yeah, I would, by mistake, which is so scary to know that you're going to be in a movie and you're trusting for a mistake to happen, for you to be okay. Right. Christopher did write a little joke for me to say in one of the you know where we introduce ourselves to the camera and this is who I am he gave me a joke about how my mother was so protective that when I played chess she made me wear a helmet in case I fell on the bishop (laughs) and That was it for me. I knew, and plus the fact that (laughs) it's easy for me to be afraid. And I knew always that any time I could find a way to be afraid or not understand show business, because I was in a show business family, but I wanted it, I somehow knew that my character was just a rich kid. He didn't want to, he didn't know anything. So, you know, I, I, everything made me afraid. And that's it, that was, and it was the key to everything.
0: Yeah, that you were terrified. But
1: I didn't know how or why or what, but it's like... Oh, look at those giant plants. I mean, people could trip on them. You know, I, yeah. my uncle has a cane. What if, you know, what if he dies? You know, <laughs> do we have insurance? You know? And, it, and that, was, yeah.
0: that, that was the key to the
1: guy. That was the key. But it was totally real because I come from fear.
0: Yeah, you do.
1: And I'm also very brave every once in a while. Yeah.
0: What do you mean you come from fear? Who doesn't come from fear? Well, I, mean, I think
1: I, I'm, I'm more cu- fear and caution. I mean, I'm really cautious. Uh huh. Sometimes.
0: And you're always you always show up on TV and a lot of like yeah, shows I, that people love.
1: I often Seinfeld, do. Broad City. You're you're you know, you, you, you I was sh- on my favorite one, the, the Good Wife, a couple of times. Oh yeah. And that was to be with those actors. That and when I saw the show a couple of times, do you yeah. watch the? Did you, do you watch it? I I don't watch it. I couldn't understand it because it, they would always every show seemed to be kind of the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, And yet, when I got involved with it for only a couple of episodes, I was like, no wonder it's always the same. Because each time it's so much fun to do the things that they get to do on that show... Because usually you're inside of one of those things, and it's not quite as delightful as it is to watch it. Right, sure. But this was like I'm in the middle of the best built machine I've ever been in. It's great. I huh? just loved it, and I love the actors. And it was uh, really great. Really fun, yeah. And what's this thing? That, what's the Condor thing? The Condor thing is a television series for the Audience Network. I think it's called um, Direct TV. Uh huh. Um, it's got more names attached to it, but everybody seems to know where it is. I just don't know where it is. Um, it's got great. Bill Hurt and I had a reunion in it because I haven't seen him since I was 33 years old, 32 years old. It's been old, that maybe? long.
0: I just saw him in the the, uh, the Billy Ray Thor- the Billy Bob Thornton thing.
1: Not Goliath. He yeah. Was, oh, okay. Because he did a year of that or two years of that or something.
0: Well, I mean, I, he's in the whole first season. Yeah. 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 It was good to see him.
1: I love him. So we had a reunion. And, and it was how was lo- that? Great. I loved seeing him. I, he, How's uh, he doing? Good. He's totally unique. Yeah, uh, as he always was nothing yeah. has changed he's older and wiser uh-huh. or not wiser uh-huh. and uh, i love him i yeah. was very happy to be with him brendan fraser is in it he's fantastic we i don't know him that well but i he'd had passover at my house once about 20 years ago and i always i was always really this is in condor right he's in condor yeah amira sorvino wow and some other wonderful people it's based on three days of the condor it's actually based on the book i guess um, so it's based on that it's about the CIA it's yeah. adventurous. We've done a season of it and we don't know if it's picked up but um, it, it could be really good. Are you gonna direct something now?
0: I don't know, you know I, I'm just I'm acting in a in a show mm-hmm. I, I directed a couple of episodes of my show I, I maybe it would be nice to try it without uh, being in the show and to sort of
1: but on TV I I found it relieving to be directing the show that I was, to be acting in the show I was directing. Really? I don't think you would. I, in TV? Maybe,
0: yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was directing. I feel like I was doing a scene, then running back and checking with the DP if it came out good and then going back.
1: Well, then you mustn't be in one and then you must direct one. That's what I mean. But you should do more of that. Okay. If I you think,
0: like it. I, I think I would like it. I, I don't know what to, uh, I, I'm just looking at all of the stuff that you've been doing because you direct a lot of television I here guess. and there. Yes,
1: I directed two for two seasons of Nurse Jackie. So, you know and the I people really I'm trying.
0: working with, probably. Um, was Betty Gilpin on? Betty Gilpin, I know the Betty. actress. I, yeah.
1: I, I love, her father's a, a friend of mine, and I've worked with him since I was 25 yeah, years old. Yeah, she's in Glow. I see. She's so her talented. Oh, we did so readings good. together. Yeah. I really like her. Say hello for me, please. I will. Oh, her, do you know her father at all? Oh, I know his, his
0: work, yeah. We
1: we did a show at, at Yale Rep uh, with Patty Clarkson when uh-huh. she, was, she was a student, and we were like in the repertory company. And, um, And Jack, I think I killed him. I can't remember. It was a comedy, but I think I might might have killed him. Uh, And he's just always been one of my favorite actors. And he's a minister, too, now. Is he? Yep. He's an ordained minister.
0: Did he uh, have a a congregation? or
1: Me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like his... I'm his congregant or something. No. But, I mean, he's... Some people, I guess, could become a minister and become very heavy-handed and bombastic. It's just part of his real spirituality because he's by nature just whatever you think of whatever i think of, spiritual he jack's the real deal huh
0: and wait we, we, you
1: glossed over a story that you didn't tell but it sounds
0: like you've told it before what was the pretending to know french for
1: closing oh it's, I, it's like it's like playing my little story should yeah. i tell my little story yeah let's okay. end with your little story so i got a call oh Spe- steven spielberg i was I don't know 30 Steven Spielberg would like you to be in this new movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind what's that title I I can't hear that title and it took me like a long time and I thought well this movie won't who knows what it'll be if you don't you can't even say the title.
0: What, what had he done before already? Yeah, he had already done Jaws. Yeah, I mean, he did Jaws. Yeah. That was pretty big.
1: Yeah. But, but, he, but he didn't do he was 20 Jaws in right. a row okay. Maybe he was a sort of one-hit wonder, except he had also done the thing with with Dennis Weaver. In the Duel. In, you know, yeah. yeah, in The Duel, which yeah. was like, yeah. that's even more, I mean, yeah. really more amazing, because there's nothing but speed in a car. Yeah. Anyway, well, I knew he'd be great, obviously. Um, and they said, but you, you know, you don't have to audition or anything. But they just want to make sure you can speak French because you're going to be translating for Francois Truffaut. I said, he's actually going to be in the movie, Francois Truffaut. Yeah. Oh shit! Right? This is great. I said, oh, well, I, I speak fluent French. Yeah, I'm like great. I'm really good. <laughs> and then I go, well, what am I going to do? Because I did, I do have a really good French, pretty good French accent, yeah. and I did study for four years in high school. Right. But you know, that was 13 years ago, and sure. here I am right now. So I, I made up a thing to say and then I rehearsed a poem that I had memorized in eighth grade uh-huh. and I went in and it was like Julia Phillips and Steven Spielberg and the casting director. It's like, well, Bob, you know, we just love you to be the translator and you'll just translate whatever Francois says and and you'll have to translate for him into French. And sometimes maybe it'll be scripted, but you'll just have to really speak French. So you'll have to, you know, like go with the flow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. well, So can you speak, really speak French? Yeah. Well, speak, you know. Yeah. So I said, Il y avait beaucoup d'années depuis que j'ai parlé français. Si vous me donnez ce boulot, ce sera très difficile pour moi it's been many years since I've spoken French, and if you give me this job, it will be very difficult for me, but fortunately nobody in the room spoke French, and they were like, hooray, great, you can speak French. So we talked a little bit more, and then it became clear that I was really going to have to make my way in French throughout this movie they said well it's a leaving thing say a few more words in French and I said la cigale est enchantée tout l'été se trouva fort des quand le bise fut venu." so I had to bury the rhymes because it's the rhyming story of the ant and the grasshopper I can do it for 10 minutes yeah. I memorize it in 8th grade and I rehearse it every week or two in case somebody asks me to speak French yeah. <laughs> so they said congratulations so I rushed to uh, Berlitz and I immediately had the script translated into French and then I met François Truffaut in Jalette, y- Wyoming, where the first exteriors were being filmed at yeah. Devil's Tower. And go say hello to François. But he doesn't speak English, and he didn't want to speak English because it, it embarrassed him. He wanted to be cool and adept, and he wasn't in, in English. And every day he would get up in the morning, and he'd turn on his little tape and say, My name is François Truffaut. I live in Paris. I mean, he would really do that, but he never got very far. Yeah. And so we're at some little... Tex Mex thing, or wherever we are in the middle of Gillette, Wyoming. And what is that? He said, I sort of said that wasn't his accent. Yeah, I do very bad accents. Um, And he pointed to chicken fried steak and, like, you try saying chicken fried steak in French. It's like, (laughs) and I somehow, because I wasn't just not that good at French, I was better at this point, but I was awestruck to be with Francois Truffaut in the middle of Wyoming somewhere and we're going to be like standing together for the next eight months talking to each other. I just couldn't get over it and I managed to somehow explain to him that even though I was playing his translator, I basically didn't speak French and I had lied my way into the movie. And it won him over right away because I thought, <laughs> I'm Antoine Toinelle, <laughs> you know, like I'm fucking up. It's like, it's yeah. human. Yeah. And I and he just, from then on, it was like, I don't know that we were best friends, but I felt like we were best friends and I loved him. And I got to just chat away and friends about movies and life and our families and we double dated with Terry Gard, going around with Francois, and I was, uh-huh. my wife came, and we all had a double date, and it was just a dream.
0: And did he, like, did he eventually, you know,
1: speak English to you, or? You no, know? but I translated for him, and he kind of avoid. he had a, a, a paid translator to be with him, you know, as you oh, would do. So, oh, I get it. But, but he preferred me to do the translating, because... He sensed somehow that she was serious, and she never really knew when he was kidding. And it's very hard when you translate f- to and from and in and out to maintain humor. It's a really difficult. But you had a to good ear for it. Well, I knew him, you know, yeah, and, right, and, right, and, right. and and he was very scary to people. Yeah, because he he wore great clothes. He wore like Chanel outfits, and he had matching luggage, which nobody I knew had matching luggage. And we're talking about Steven Spielberg and Richard Dreyfuss and Julia Phillips and. Like, you know, these aren't grown-ups. They were just, like, wonderful children. Yeah. And uh, I think he scared people a little bit. Huh. But if you knew him, believe me, I mean, he was the opposite of scary. He was just... All he was doing was, like, talking about women's shoes and how pretty her leg was. And yeah. And who were you in love with? And, and just the world and life. and he Made some stuff. great movies, that guy. Okay. I don't think he really ever made a stinker, except he made... He told me, he said his philosophy, many things he told me, and I remembered like everything and I put it in my book uh-huh. that I wrote about the movie called Spielberg, Truffaut and Me. Yeah. But he said, he, he he said he wanted to just keep making movies over and over and over again. He said, because you know, we don't get to live that long. Little did I know he'd be dying of a brain tumor nine years later. Yeah. You know, he was quite a young man when that happened or 10 so years he in the late later. 40s? He was All like 51 that. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and he said, so I'm only interested, I'm interested in the relationship between men, women, and, and children. And that's it. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, but it's almost all you of know, it. would you ever be directing Close Encounters? No, no. He said, too much Vroom Vroom. Because he had been asked to direct <laughs> that some giant race car movie somewhere. Yeah, and he yeah. said, I, I, I don't do Vroom Vroom. You, know? <laughs> you didn't want that. That's funny. But
0: It's great seeing you, man. Lovely to see
1: you, Martin. When are you going back? As soon as I can. No, I'm going back on Sunday. Okay. Well, have fun yeah. out here. Thank you. I'm already kind of amusing myself. Do you, do you see friends? I see a lot of friends uh, and run into people and, and catch up on stuff and try to set up my next projects. Okay, buddy. Thanks, Bob. Thank you.
0: That was Bob Balaban. The show is Condor on the Audience Network, among all the other things he's done. All right? Okay. Awesome. Take care, be careful out there in your head. Boomer lives!